We are back with my guest today, of course, Kirti Varun Avasarala, Chief Product Officer at Michonne. We were talking about how you treat customers as individuals. You give them individual journeys, you talk to them, listen, uh, or die, as you said yourself. But the technology, <laughs> indeed, I'm going to remember that one. That's a t-shirt if there ever was one. Um, technology always has to stay invisible, but it is decisive. Tell us about the customer experience and how you achieve this. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a very good question. And, and often uh, tech companies... Uh, need to understand that technology, while it's such a big enabler, it, it needs to be invisible, right? The consumer experience has to be very seamless. Uh, at Misho, uh, again, we've sort of leveraged technology very deeply, and, and I think we've done it across a few different areas, which actually add a lot of value to our core consumer experience. So I'll talk about maybe a few things which probably differentiate us a lot. I, uh, the first one is actually the size of the Misho app, right? So it's actually 14 MB. Uh, on the on the Play Store, if you if you want to download it, and this actually is the lowest sized consumer internet app uh, uh, in India and probably also in many countries across the world. Uh, and and if you look at other uh, e-commerce apps or other consumer internet apps, they would be 40 MB or higher, right, in terms of the size. And and the reason why we made it a very lightweight app is is also coming again from that listen or die insight of our consumers. So many of our consumers are. Uh, uh, in the low to mid income segment, they use very low end smartphones, which have very little storage space. So often what happens is if you have apps which are which require a, a higher storage space, a lot of these consumers will use the apps a few times and then uninstall them and use another app, right? Because of the size constraints they have on their phones. So that's one of the reasons why we optimize the technology behind our apps so much that we've sort of become a very, very lightweight app. And, and we see our consumers never uh, uninstalling our app for the most part, right? So that's one thing which is very, very unique about uh, Misho, which we figured out fairly early in our journey. Uh, the other thing which is very unique about uh, the Misho app is also the simplicity in our UX design. Uh, so uh, again, a lot of these consumers that we serve, many of them are new to e-commerce itself. So people who've been just shopping offline before and now are buying online. So they are relatively less tech savvy. So uh, their ability to uh, sort of understand a shopping journey, which is very complex, is is low. So if you you so when you go through the Misho app shopping journey, it's much simpler, less cluttered, a uh, lot of visual iconography and visual communication, visual cues which help people shop, as opposed to writing a lot of text, uh, which they have to read. Right. So that that makes the the UX design very simple. Another very unique insight that we found in our UX designers, a lot of the consumers who start buying with us are people who have got introduced to technology through apps like WhatsApp, Facebook, Instagram. And, and in all of these apps, one unique thing that you will notice is most of them have only vertical scrolling, right? So you keep on scrolling vertically on feeds. There is very little horizontal scroll. Whereas if you look at regular e-commerce apps, most of them have a lot of horizontal scroll, right? Whereas if you see Misho, almost all of the scrolling that we have is vertical, right? So this again was a very conscious UX design choice because we know that a lot of these consumers have been sort of brought up on these social apps and now they're migrating to e-commerce and we need to make the UX easy for them, right? So that's another unique design choice we made. It's very different from most other e-commerce apps, right? So that's an, so a lot of these 
elements also make the app very simple to use and often a lot of consumers tell us when we talk to them that when we ask them why do you buy on misho apart from low pricing etc this is one of the reasons they quote most right your app is very simple to use right which which is not the case with some of the other apps so so i think that's another there's a second thing which i think is quite unique i think the I third just, one i just which, want to interject for just yeah. one moment because that sure. is such an important point a lot of marketers again everywhere on the planet it's about keeping it simple it's about making it an enjoyable experience and something as simple as just understanding that it has to be a vertical scroll or that there have to be simple calls to action and what a difference that has made in your app. I think that that's just a point. You're being a little humble about what you've made, actually, Kirti, because that is, you know, it's lightweight, easy to use. Those are probably two very, very important points. Yeah, absolutely. I think those have really uh, helped us uh, penetrate the market and get people who, had a lot of barriers in shopping online to actually come to Misho and shop so so yeah, they've helped a lot and a lot of those insights again have come from us being very closely connected to consumers listening to them talking to them and so on i think the other aspect i, I would also highlight which i think is is, is quite uh, different about Misho is our overall communications strategy right of how we engage consumers so while all the channels that are typically available we leverage them just like any other e-commerce app would but the area where we have invested a lot is in uh, the push notifications and the core communication infrastructure behind it. So, so we do have in-house infrastructure. We use uh, tools like CleverTap as well, which power a lot of our communications. But one of the unique things that we've done is to also figure out how to personalize that communication, how to uh, figure out what consumer segment uh, would require what type of communication, what would be most relevant for one consumer segment versus the other. And and the reality is the overall market that we are serving of these 600 million people I was talking about, there are many, many micro segments in that. Right? India is anyway a very heterogeneous country. The, the, the demand patterns vary a lot. So, so that's what led us to sort of a lot of data science related efforts in personalizing our, our push uh, push notifications and, and overall communications. That also actually has helped us engage and retain these consumers in a very significant way. Share some of those learnings because it would be very interesting. You've obviously worked on segmentation. Listening to customers has also allowed you to put, if you will, overlay that with a rich layer of not just um, implicit but sort of explicit personalization they know what they want and you're listening to them. What have you learned, for example, around how to give different customer segments the messages they will accept and appreciate? Because there's a big difference between assisting shoppers, for example, and then some might feel annoyed. There's different tolerance levels. What can you share? Yeah, I think this has been a big, uh, big learning journey for us uh, over the last few years. Uh, as we analyzed more and more data on how our push notifications are being received by consumers, I think what we what we realized is that uh, different kinds of content in push notifications appeals to different consumers differently. So the relevance changes a lot. So which you look at through metrics like click-through rates and so on. So it varies a lot. So the same message if you send to uh, a bunch of different consumers, their click-through rates are very different. And the reason why that is the case is because their category affinity is different their gender is different. Uh, the, the, even the time of the day when you send that notification, different people are doing different things at that point in time. So there are, their mind space uh, towards the notification is very different. 
So I think the entire content piece, I think uh, making it relevant was one thing that we realized we have to solve. I think the second thing, which also was quite interesting, is the volume of notifications. How many notifications do you send? And there, I think there is a sort of spectrum. Uh, on the one end, there are consumers who like more notifications. And these typically tend to be uh, women consumers we've seen in our in our uh, market uh, who are housewives, etc., who have time on their hand, who like actually looking at fashion items. And, and for them, more notifications is better. But on the other extreme, you also have consumers who, for whom if you cross a certain threshold of notifications, of number of notifications, they actually uninstall the app. Right. So, so for us, it was about figuring out that sweet spot of the right volume so that you can maximize relevance and, and click-through rates, but at the same time, minimize installs, which meant we had to figure out who the consumer is and then send the right type of notification and also the right volume. So that actually has been a very complex data science-led personalization exercise. And I think now we've gotten to a point where, uh, where we've sort of uh, become very, very advanced at, at, at our overall communication strategy. So, so the, all of these insights around uninstalls, relevance, uh, different consumers having different affinity towards them. I think these are learnings that we've sort of built over the last few years. Just curious, is there a range that you can say, sort of like on average, if you go over, I don't know, seven in a certain period, it's a no-go? Yeah, the actual range also, by the way, depends a lot on the kind of uh, consumer internet app you are. So just to give you an example of a different sector, like if you're in social networking, right? So there the threshold is much higher. So there you can send 20, 25, 30 notifications a day and still probably it's okay. Now, when it comes to e-commerce, there I think the range is much, much, uh, much smaller, right? But having said that, different consumers are at different ends of the range. For example, roughly a good benchmark to think about is something like uh, six to six notifications a day to something like a 15, 16 a day. Right. Mm -hmm. So that sort of tends to be the range. So the consumers who are very okay with lots of notifications, maybe they're okay with 15 a day. But the folks who have very high, very little tolerance for that, maybe they're okay with five, six a day. Right. So I think that's sort of the range that we have found. But even within that range, different micro segments, we have tuned the volume at different levels for them. Right. So, so yeah, so that, that's sort of how, how we figured this out. Another thing you're figuring out is something that all marketers are talking about, maybe even now more than before, the hook. You know, you have to make certain your app is habit forming. What is the hook? How do you get people to come in and stay there? You know, Reforge talks about it all the time. But what's really surprising is you have come up with a formula for understanding when retention kicks in, which is very exciting. So I just want you to unpack that for us and tell us how you make your app habit forming. Yeah, this is actually a very interesting concept and uh, in the last few years, I think it's become sort of the holy grail uh, that marketers are chasing, uh, which is this habit formation point. I think we've also understood the concept and then try to figure out how we apply in our context. And again, what we realized after a lot of experimentation, which our growth team has done, is is around saying that, okay, if we acquire a new consumer, uh, first is we need to make them understand what online shopping is in the first place, right? Which is to get them to place a uh, 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 first one or two orders but then after that there's a journey towards what we call habit formation point which is basically the point after which the retention of that consumer becomes stable after which you can be confident that this person has built a habit and then pro if your experience is good enough then they won't churn out right so how do you 
analytically figure out what that habit formation point is. And that's where I think we sort of ran multiple experiments with, with different consumer segments over a fairly long period of time and then came to the conclusion, uh, at least on the Misho app, uh, if there are consumers who do, I think, about four orders in the first uh, uh, four months, that mm-hmm. is what we have seen uh, leads to stable retention. Right. So, so, so therefore, that sort of is the habit formation point. So four orders in four months. So our goal then was to figure out every new consumer we acquire, how do we get them across this hump of four orders in the first four months? And and that led us to then fine-tune multiple things, right? First is the onboarding user experience. So when you come in, how can I how can we assist you digitally to, to place your first order? How can we show you the right kind of merchandise which will appeal to you, right? Based on uh, which part of the country you're in, what, what we know about your uh, demographics and so on. Then we've also spent uh, sort of a lot of effort in figuring out how do we optimize your early experience till that habit formation point? How can we curate the experience for you? How do we ensure that you don't face any negative experience? Sometimes also uh, ensuring that we uh, give you some incentives to cross that hump as well, right? So all of these different initiatives uh, uh, help us get to that habit formation point, which then leads to stable retention. And the, and the basic starting point for all of this was for us to first figure out what that habit formation point is, because if you don't know that, then you wouldn't know how long to put all of these initiatives on and, and how much to invest behind it. And, and as a marketer, you also want ROI on the money that you're spending. Right? So I think all of that, I think we've been able to sort of figure out over time through, through this habit formation point and making it very practical and real in our context. And you're also making it very applicable, something that other marketers can apply to what they're doing because you come up with the point, you come up with the action that signals that's when retention will kick in, and then you reverse engineer it from there. If you find out that it's four purchases in four months, then you make, as you said yourself, make everything work so that you are leading customers to that optimal outcome. So really... It's something that all of the marketers who are listening in, all of our audience listening in, can think about and apply and make work for them. Absolutely, uh, they can. And one more thing that we figured out about this habit formation point is it's not static in time, which means mm-hmm. that this also keeps changing. And, and, and a lot of it also changes based on the market context, your competition, your own value proposition evolving. So it's 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 obviously an exercise that you... Uh, do to discover it, but at the same time, it can change. So so one of the attempts we're also making is how do we revisit this every six months, every nine months to see if that truly is still the habit formation point or has that shifted forward or backward, right? So it's also something not very static in time. So that's something that we've also figured out now and and we're trying to constantly refine it as well as we as we grow in scale. We, we now have more than 130 million active users, right? So as we grow in scale more and more and more, Obviously, every new user that we acquire, it becomes much harder to retain them right? because just the scale is so larger. So obviously, some of these habit formation points may shift. So mm-hmm. just being able to look at the data and, and constantly calibrate this, I think is also very important. So you're looking at the data all the time, and that gives you insights. I want to delve into some of those insights, some of your opinions, informed opinion, edgy opinion. By throwing a concept out there, and I want to hear the first thing that you answer back or what comes to mind when I say it. So I'm going to kick off with 
thinking about where you left us off, thinking about growth, what is the thing you think of when I say the marketer's most important growth engine? I think for me, it's product-led growth, right? Uh, I think the way the consumer internet sector has evolved, uh, product-led initiatives are playing a much, much larger role in in every aspect of growth beyond just the performance marketing and branding, which almost every company does. Now it's about the kind of things we discussed, right? Figuring out the habit formation point, figuring out the right core product onboarding experience, sort of nailing all of that. I think that's what, to me, is is the growth uh, engine for every marketer uh, if, if you want to get to scale. So you personalize your experiences. You also match them to your segmentation. Everything is about the customer. What's the biggest myth about personalization? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. Uh, I, I think one of the things I've observed, at least in, in a lot of consumer internet companies, is the perception that personalization is a one-time thing that you do and it's done industrial type. Right? Uh, even there, if you look at any feed of items on an e-commerce app or a news feed in a social networking app, there you apply personalization, but your personalization models, the data science models also need to evolve with time because consumer preferences change, your competition changes, so and and you get more data about consumer right so so even your personalization models need to evolve and you need to revisit them again every 6 months or so and and refine them as opposed to assuming that hey i have personalized this feed so it's done let, let me go to another project right so this has actually been a learning from what we've done at misho where initially we had that mindset and then we realized that as we personalized it again we got incrementally much much more impact right so so to me i think that's one big myth which uh, which definitely, I think, uh, has been busted based on our own experience. Everything you're talking about is about evolution. Customers evolve. Data formulas evolving. Nothing is static. That means that everything is moving. And in that, you yourself, your career, your lessons. What's the hardest lesson you have personally had to learn? I think the hardest lesson for me has been uh, adapting to uh, the demands of the, the role that I'm in right now. And especially when you're in a senior leadership role at a very high growth company, there are many things that you, you, you need to optimize for, right? For example, hiring great talent, building great culture, driving the product vision, driving seamless execution, uh, building trust with your stakeholders. So, so there are many demands of this job. And, and one of the biggest learnings for me has been how to balance all of these at every point in time, as opposed to over-indexing on one or two things because you feel that this is what is important for the next six months. And and when I have done that, then I've realized that it is actually, while it may in the short term lead result, yield results, in the long term it becomes detrimental. So so just balancing all of these different demands of, of this job uh, at every point in time, I think is a, is a big lesson, right? Especially if you're in this role, then there is no way out. You have to you have to do all of this uh, at every point in time. And all of those points come together. I mean, product is marketing. So being chief product officer puts you in the middle of all that action and activity as well. And also the talent that you need to bring together to do the job. You're taking commerce to the masses, which is another goal, which is another focus, which is also something difficult to do. How do you do it? Taking commerce to the masses, I think at least the, the biggest myth 
that has prevailed is if you are an e-commerce company and you're serving sort of the upper tier of the market, then the only thing that you need to do is do a lot of marketing to to the masses and give them discounts and all of them will start shopping on your app, right? So that message has been busted and Misha is actually the example, a classic example of that. So, so I think what is really needed is for you to rethink the entire business model and core product experience for this segment, right? As opposed to trying to replicate what you did for a different segment and hoping that it works. So this is something that I think we've sort of realized first and this has been the basis of Misha's success now. And finally, short answer only, your golden rule of retention. What is it? The golden rule of retention, which uh, at least I've figured out, is to think of uh, businesses in flywheel terms as opposed to linear systems, right? And just to maybe explain this quickly, flywheels are basically systems where there are feedback loops. So if you if you basically optimize for one metric, then that gives you some feedback and then that helps improve the system overall. So in e-commerce, for example, uh, if you uh, get pricing, selection, convenience right for consumers, it automatically creates more supply. And, and more supply coming in creates more consumer demand and, and, and so on. So it's a flywheel. So, so a big lever of retention is to ensure that your consumer side, your supply side, both are working in tandem and you optimize both of them together versus thinking of them in isolation. So this actually has been the biggest sort of uh, uh, realization we've had. And, and I think this is actually the golden tool of retention. And you shared it with us. <laughs> That's excellent. You know, people are listening and saying, yes, I have gotten a lot of value out of this show. I know I have. And I really do appreciate everything that you've shared today, Kirti. If people want to continue a conversation, um, maybe you'll be writing that blog about that uh, uh, habit formation point. How can they stay in touch with you? Sure. And, and we, I think we'll figure out about the blog as well. Uh, but uh, you can sort of people can reach me at, at I'm, I'm there on LinkedIn. They can sort of search me up there. Uh, I'm also on Twitter uh, uh, as well. Again, easy to search me up there. So those are the two channels I use the most. And, and people can sort of email me, uh, kirti at pshow.com, if, if that's uh, something that they want to do as well. Yeah. Perfect. Lots of ways to connect with you. And I encourage everyone to do that because I have to say that uh, I do a lot of interviews, Kirti, but yours was in many ways outstanding because of your approach to what you do. It is so well thought through. A very valuable interview indeed. Thank you again. Thanks a lot, Peggy. And it was great uh, having this conversation. And, of course, Kirti has shared his journey. And to help marketers and organizations drive customer connection, conversion, results for their business, CleverTap has curated the latest presentations from CleverTap Quarterly for you on YouTube. It's the company's flagship event. It offers insights around the state of the industry as well as best practices you don't want to miss. So if you want to learn from the best, it's all over at the CleverTap Quarterly playlist on YouTube. And if you have a story to tell, then reach out to me on social or email me, Peggy, Peggy at mobilegroove.com is where you'll find my portfolio of essential reads and resources. As always, check out this and all earlier episodes on Amazon, iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. And if you prefer video, well, hey, we've got you covered there as well because we've got this podcast in video powered by The Groove over on YouTube. So until next time, remember, every minute is mobile. Let's make every minute count. Keep well, and we'll see you soon.